Hello, and thank you for listening to this message from Pastor Gary Ellard here at Grace Bible Fellowship in Front Royal, Virginia. In his last message, Pastor Gary explained that we are freed from the bondage to sin. But do we really believe this, or do we think it's our job to fight against our flesh? Pastor Gary explains that we are secure in the love of God, and our job is to allow the Holy Spirit to do the fighting for us. My subject this morning is, do you believe this? Last week, my subject was freed from sin. And I used Romans 6, 6 and 7, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. The Bible makes it pretty plain. So here we are this morning. We are all freed from the slavery of sin. And then in Romans 6.11, it says, Even so, consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So the Bible says that we are to consider ourselves to be dead to sin. And you've heard me several times say that when temptation comes, and it will come, we look at that temptation and we're reminded of the scripture. I'm dead to that. I am dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then we have in verse 18, and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So my question this morning is, do you believe this? Do you believe that you are a slave to righteousness? Or maybe you find yourself pleading with God to help you to, uh, to sort of walk you through temptation, and you just feel like you're asking God to do something, but you really want to do it. And that seems to be our problem today. Many believers fear what they really want. They believe they are sinful at the core. A week ago, I was with a, a deacon in a Baptist church up in um, West Virginia. And we were talking a little bit, and he says, you know, he said, I, I, I really am confused about this whole Christian life. This man is 78 years old. He's been a Christian all of his life. And now he says, I'm really confused about this Christian life. He says, I know, I, he says, I know that I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I said, if you believe that you're a sinner saved by grace, you've misunderstood grace. You just misunderstood it, that's all. You are not a sinner saved by grace. You are a saint who occasionally sins. That's who you are. I said, you're, you're not 
a sinner saved by grace. Today we have a lot of emphasis placed on the flesh. You know, the Bible says the flesh is at war with the spirit, the spirit's at war with the flesh. And so there's a lot of emphasis, and, and, and sometimes now what we hear is your battle in life is to fight the flesh. Is it? Is it really that? Is that our battle in life, to fight the flesh? You see, the Bible says in Galatians 5, 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So what is my job then? My job is to walk by the Spirit. And then, with this flesh business, the flesh is against the spirit, the spirit is against the flesh, whose job is it then to fight against the flesh? The spirit. It's not your job. Your job is to walk by the spirit. You see, what we don't realize is that we're on the same team with Christ. I mean, we're not battling against Christ. I mean, I'm not happy with my flesh. God is not happy with my flesh. But thank God that at my deepest core, I am everything that God says I am. Everything. I'm not my flesh. No, I'm not my flesh at all. So... Do you remember what the flesh is? The flesh is our old worldly ways of thinking and acting, and we relied upon that before we were saved. That's our flesh. It was the worldly ways of trying to make life work. And that's all we really knew. I mean, that's all we knew. But now we're born again. We received a new heart, a new human spirit, and then we were filled with the spirit. Now, I'm the first one to admit that most Christians don't understand that. They seem to think that things happen in stages. The more that we understand it, the more real it becomes to us. Because that's what happened. We became, the Bible says, we became a new creation. And then we became members of the body of Christ. The moment that you said yes to Christ, your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life you became a member of the body of Christ the moment that you said yes to Christ. Whether you were eight or whether you're 80, it doesn't make any difference. The Bible says that we became obedient from the heart. The Bible says in 617, but thanks be to God that, through, that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching which you were committed. Now, you hear, hear a lot about the heart. Because in Ezekiel 36, 26, 
It says, moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit. Now, notice the spirit is lowercase. That means human spirit. So I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Then notice what he does. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Verse 16 of Romans, do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as slaves of obedience, you were slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? You were given this new heart, this new human spirit filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Bible says you became a obedient because of your righteousness. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that you are a 100% compatible with the Spirit within you? You have the Holy Spirit living within you. Do you believe that you are a 100% compatible? Well, what does that mean? Well, it really means that since you gave your life to Christ and since you understood that you received all of this, your wants are beginning to change. You are becoming 100% compatible with the Spirit within you. Your wants are changing because Christ lives in you through the Holy Spirit. God has empowered you empowered us. He works with us. We're on the same team. He works with us. He inspires us to walk according to our true desires. The Bible says, do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves, resulting in the obedience now, we hear a lot about obedience today. A lot of sermons are preached about it, that you need to become more obedient. You know, you don't need to become more obedient. You are. You have an obedient heart. You don't have to try to be obedient. You have an obedient heart. Satan has done a masterful job on Christians today. He has convinced them that they are on a performance-based acceptance treadmill. If I were to ask you, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, if I were to ask you, how well do you accept yourself? And then if I were to ask you, how well do you accept your spouse and your children? I mean, if they're all in the family of God, if they're all born-again Christians. How do you accept yourself? Well, you might say, well, I would maybe give myself a six. 
And so that would mean that you would have four more things to deal with, and then you would consider yourself pretty much perfect. Now, God accepts us perfectly. He doesn't grade us on a one to ten. His grades are pass or fail. That's it. That's it. Pass or fail. When Christ came and knocked on the door of your heart and you said yes, you passed. You passed. And he sees you and looks at you perfect. You're perfect in his eyes because you're perfect at your core. That new heart, that new human spirit filled with the Holy Spirit is perfect. You can't get any perfecter that's a word. He couldn't love you or accept you more if you had never sinned. And this is a tough one, but it's true. He will never love and accept you less, no matter how often you sin. Let me say that again. He will never love and accept you less no matter how many times you sin. God has already accepted you completely. Any Christian who is striving for acceptance is fighting a battle that has already been won. The Bible says that you are united with him. You are fused in him. The Bible says that you are one in him in spirit. There's a oneness. You and Christ are on the same team. Now, there's been a lot of emphasis in the last 25 years about grace. More books written on grace than ever before. And that's wonderful because the Bible says that we are saved by grace. But the Bible also says that we have been we have been kept saved by grace. We are one spirit, and we found a new way. It's called a new covenant. We found a new way for being right and staying right with God. It's called Christ living in you. And the more that we study grace, the more that we find how amazing it is. It's grace that saves, and it's grace that keeps us from sin. I remember several years ago that uh, some folks came up to me and they say, you know, the way you preach about grace, it's almost like you give people license to sin. And you've heard me say it before. I told them that nobody needed a license. They're doing great just the way they are. You don't need a license to sin. In other words, some people said, you need to balance it a little bit more. I mean, grace, 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 all the time grace. You need to sort of balance it a little bit. And I, I used to say, well, how do you balance it? Do you throw in a little bit of law? I mean, is that how you balance it? And that's what we have done. The Bible says in Titus 2, 11, 
For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. And then it says here, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. This is what grace does. Grace saves us, and grace instructs us, and it keeps us from sin. It does the opposite of what so many people think. Too much grace, and you give license to sin. No. It is grace that instructs us to live godly lives. This is why the Bible says that Christ is the end of the law. And this is why the Bible says we are free from the law. But however, we Christians, we're good. We have found ways to put ourselves under the law. Yeah, we, we agree that the commandments, the 613 laws are, yeah, they're done away with. But now we found a way to put ourselves under the law. In Corinthians, Paul calls it the ministry of death. And he also calls it a curse. Now, keep in mind that Paul was the one that called it a curse. Paul was the one who said that, we, that Christ is the end of the law. And yet, Paul says that the law is holy, just, and good. And so what people have done, they said, well, what was done away with was the ceremonial laws, but the Ten Commandments are still there for us as a moral guide. And I used to believe that. But the Bible tells us that if we are under the law, we experience sinning of every kind. Only apart from the law is sin dead. You've got to push the law out, then sin is dead. But here's what happens. We have found today in the Christian church a new way to put ourselves under the law. And it's such a righteous way, it seems like. What do I mean? Well, we have a lot of thou shall nots. Thou shalt read your Bible every day. Thou shalt pray an hour a day. Thou shalt have quiet time. And the list goes on and on. Thou shalt witness. One, told, one lady told me this week, she said that we were talking a little bit, and I said, oh, do you uh, fellowship uh, close by? And she said, I don't fellowship at all. Oh. I says, you want to tell me what happened? She says, sure. She said that she was going to a church in West Virginia there. The church was friendly. They helped her in a lot of things. And then she said that she heard a sermon one time, and she said that the sermon was you need to do this. You need to clean out a closet, have a prayer, prayer closet. If you have a, a spare closet, 
clean it out, put a rug in there, put a Bible in there. And I looked at her, I said, I did the very same thing. Years ago, I said, I did that too. And she said, well, I felt so guilty because I would miss a day or miss two days. And she said, finally, I quit going to church. And she said, then the church had this new program where they have accountability. And she said, I knew that somebody would be coming to my house and ask me if I'm doing my quiet time, my prayer, my study, my Bible. And she said, so I just quit going to church and didn't want to go back ever again. I spent several years out west holding week of prayers in Christian schools, academies. I would counsel all day long. It was for a week. I would counsel during the day. And then I would hold these meetings at night. Now, I heard from all these wonderful young people who really loved the Lord. They came from good families, and they were at a good school. And I heard how guilt, how much guilt that they were carrying, and all the frustrations they had because they were not reading their Bible every day. And they were not praying every day. And they weren't taking time. They didn't have their quiet time. And they felt all of this guilt. And here the Bible tells us there is therefore no condemnation, no guilt for them that are in Christ Jesus. We have taken something so beautiful as prayer, reading the Bible, and having some special time with God, and we have made it a law. And once you make it a law, you're going to have problems because under any rule-based system, people automatically resort to human effort. They try their very best to follow the rules. I certainly did. I gave it everything I could. And what happens when you do that? Well, you fail and then you rededicate your life. You fail, and you rededicate your life. And you fail, rededicate, fail, rededicate, and fail. Then comes this idea that came into the church some years ago about accountability. We need to be accountable to someone who can help us with our Christian walk. Now, I want you to think about it for a moment. You said yes to Christ. He gave you a new heart, a new human spirit, and filled you with the Holy Spirit, and now you need to be accountable to some man or woman. No. 
What we're saying is that Jesus is not enough. What we're saying is we really don't believe what the Holy Spirit says, that he leads us and guides us, directs us, empowers us. We don't really believe that. It's easier to set up a program where people can actually do something to please and satisfy God. And Paul says that Whenever you do that, sin takes opportunity through the laws. The rule-based system that you've come up with, sin will take an opportunity through that. The Bible says in Romans 7, 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? The Bible says, may it never be. On the contrary. I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandments, produced in me a coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Have you noticed how rules affects us? I noticed it this morning. I was on 37 coming to church, and I got on 81, and I set my cruise control. The speed limit's 70. I set it for 75. That's what rules do to us. My thinking was, surely they wouldn't give me a ticket if I just broke it a little bit, if I just went up five miles an hour. That's what rules do. That's why in the Christian church today, we have so much. I mean, everybody is trying to rationalize things. Because it's our human nature to do things like that. Just what can we get by with sometimes? There was a sign. It said in West Virginia, no shooting. That sign was full of holes. <laughs> I mean, everybody who read it must have taken a shot at it. <laughs> But that's what a rule-based religion will do to us. We'll push the envelope. Do you believe that trusting in Jesus Christ alone can lead us towards an upright, godly life? Because it can. It can. The Bible equates righteousness, being made righteous, with the impartation of a new life. And that new life is Christ. And then when we have that new life, the Bible says that we are a partaker of his divine nature. We are a partaker of it. So now, as a born-again Christian, we desire to do what God desires us to do. There's not a conflict there. We're on the same team. There's no conflict at all. 
the old covenant that God made with Israel looks something like this. Failed, rededicated my life. Failed, rededicate, failed, rededicate, failed. When I spent four years in West Virginia visiting all the different churches, I went to one particular church eight different times, not in a row, but eight different times through the four years. And I noticed that this church made altar calls every, every, every week. And I noticed, didn't I see them go forward before? What was happening? Failed, rededicate, failed, rededicate. It's the same old, same old. Not much has changed from the Old Testament to the new. Now, the new covenant has a solution to all of that. The old covenant, they tried their very best to keep the 613 laws, the book of law they had. They did their very best to do it. When I became a born-again Christian, I did my very best to follow the rules. Did my very best. The new covenant solution is that God maintains, sustains our salvation. Wow. I mean, that's, that's a big wow. Substains and maintains our salvation. And then the Bible says, and he always cares for us. And so we often quote, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Why will he never leave us and forsake us? Because he maintains and substains our salvation. That's why we can say without a doubt that when we accepted Jesus Christ, he accepted us forever, forever. He's always with us. Under the new covenant, God desires is the same as ours now. He is transforming us. He lives within us. And our wants are changing. They're changing every day. Under God's new way, it's not about us. It's not about us. It's not about our faithfulness. Notice here, in 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, and sometimes when, with, when this world comes at us, that's how we feel. He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So, at times we are faithless. And at those times, we know that God is faithful. God wants us to see it's all about Jesus Christ. It's not about you. It's all about him. 
It's hard for many Christians to believe what it really means to be under grace. It's really hard sometimes. Many are concerned, and there are always some who sort of panic about trying to make sure that they are in God's will. They have been taught that uh, they should seek God's approval for a spouse, a house, what kind of car to buy. And uh, it gets kind of confusing because we all drive different automobiles. So, And the list just keeps going. I mean, I could give a simple scripture if you want to know God's will for you. And you can bypass all this other stuff. Because remember, you have Christ living in you. The Holy Spirit is counseling you, directing you. So let me give you a text that may forever settle the question. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Wow. Is that simple or what? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will. Listen, it's not that hard. God's made it easy for us. If we are living out of any sense of having to meet a standard to be okay with ourselves, we're not really understanding grace. We're not, in, we're, not, we're not even getting close. I mean, what if I, what if I told you that God's love for you never changes? It never changes. You said yes, he said, welcome home. Never changes. If you never went to church again, it would never change. If you never read your Bible again, it would never change. If you never prayed again, it would never change. Because he doesn't change. I hope that you come to church to fellowship with the family of God. I hope that you come to church to learn about God, how wonderful he is, and how pleased he is with you, because he is. He thinks you're the greatest. And you are. You are. Because you said yes to him. Now, it's hard to believe, but at salvation... We died to a law-like standard so that we could be free in Christ. Do you believe this? Do you believe that you are free in Christ? Well, some of us, myself included, some of us were brought up under the law 
And this is what happens to those of us that have been brought up under the law. We spend the rest of our life wondering, who am I anyway? Who am I? I've tried to do everything right, and it doesn't feel like I'm right in the inside. I've tried to be a good Christian. It just doesn't seem, if they, sometimes I used to think, if they only knew what was going on up here, going through my head sometimes. If they only knew. Well, how can I find fulfillment? In the next six weeks, I'm going to go through a series. And you know, most of us were brought up in our processing and making our decisions. Most of us were brought up to think and then feel what seems to be right and then choose and make our decision. That is not God's way. That is not God's way for us to operate. And so I'm going to go through some of these things, finding God's way, and what we can do with our anger. You know, some of us has stuffed it for so long, but it's still there. It raises his head once in a while, but it's, we stuff it. What do we do with all this anger? What do we do with this fear? And it's like when I was going to those academies holding week of prayers. Those young people were scared to death. They were scared that they wouldn't be ready when Jesus came. The fear... And then some have a lot of pain deep inside of them. I don't know if we entirely get rid of it. Um, but remember, if we are faithless, God is faithful. And that's all we really have to remember as we go through this. The Bible says in Romans 8.31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Yes, we're on the same team as God. So who, who can separate? In fact, that's what Paul says. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's my prayer that at the end of the six weeks that we'll be going through this, that we'll be able to say with confidence the same thing that Paul said. I am convinced, there's not a shadow of a doubt, I am convinced that none of these things can separate me from the love of God. The Bible says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 
Now, there's a big temptation. And Satan will whisper in your ear, well, you may not have enough faith. And the Bible says we've all been given a measure of faith, a bushel basket full of mustard seeds, and it only takes one. It only takes one. We never have to question whether we have enough faith. We do. Sometimes we just don't exercise it. But we'll learn how to do that too. Then the Bible says in verse 5, Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Every one of us here believes that Jesus is the Son of God. We have overcome the world. Do you believe what God says is true about you? So let's look at what God says. For in him all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete. I mean, you can't go on beyond complete. You have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. We are designed by God to, to embrace the self-worth that Jesus Christ offers us. If he says we're complete, we're complete. We don't have to argue it. If he says we're perfect forever, as he does in Hebrews, we don't have to argue it. We're perfect forever at our deepest core. And then God says, this is the way he looks at you. In 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race. Now the gospel went to all. So how do we become a chosen race? When we are entered into the family of God when our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And now we are a chosen race, we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellency of him who has called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. What an awesome God we serve. He came to us, knocked on our door, we responded. And now he's enlightening us. He's working with us. We're on the same team. We're walking in the spirit. And God is right there fighting for our spirit. He's fighting against the flesh. You can back up and relax. You can enjoy what the Bible says. You are now free. You are free in Christ. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for the wonderful, wonderful promises that you have given to us. We praise you for coming to us. We're thankful that we responded to you. And we're thankful that you live your life in us and through us. And our only request is, Lord, we give you permission to do exactly that, to live your life in us and through us. That will bring us peace. That will bring us contentment. 
That will empower us to love God more and more and more. We thank you, Lord, for everything. Bless us as we worship you and as we live our life for you. For we ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from Grace Bible Fellowship in Front Royal, Virginia. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.gracebiblefellowshipchurch.org.